Thank you for joining us today for the ministry of the word at Foundation Church. We pray that what you hear today will be as much of a blessing for you as it was for the people of our congregation. Well, greetings this Lord's Day in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, our Savior, and our King. You know, God truly has done great things. I was telling somebody up here, I still can't get over the fact that we have a new roof on the building next door. Sometimes things happen in our lives that are overwhelmingly uh, fantastic, and we just need to remember God's goodness. Amen? Amen. Amen. You know, God, um, the way that he works is not the way we would work. We sort of have an idea of how it should work. And in fact, God <clears throat> tells us in his word that his ways are above our ways and his thoughts are not our thoughts. In fact, they're past finding out. And today, as we worship the Lord, we're going to see how God works. You know, we, he tells us why, and, but sometimes I think we want to know how he works. And he shows us, he gives us a picture here, and he invites us to look into it as we get into the Psalms. And Psalm 72, our call to worship, it says this, it says, Give the king thy judgments, O God, and thy righteousness unto the king's son. Here we have David praying that he and his son would judge the people that God had given them to rule like God would do. He shall judge thy people with righteousness and the poor with judgment. The mountains shall bring peace to the people and the little hills by righteousness. He shall judge the poor of the people and he shall save the children of the needy and he shall break in pieces the oppressor. See, they lived in a time where people who were important and wealthy got away with everything but the poor were always taking the brunt of everything. You see, God doesn't work that way. There is no respect of persons with God. They shall fear thee as long as the sun and the moon endure throughout all generations. He shall come down like rain upon the mown grass as showers that water the earth. In his days shall righteousness flourish and abundance of peace so long as the moon endures. He shall have dominion also from sea to sea and from the river unto the ends of the earth. Can you guys imagine there will come a day when Christ will rule every bit of this world? Amen. We won't vote him in. We won't be able to vote him out. And things are going to be different. They that dwell in the wilderness shall bow before him and his enemies shall lick the dust. Everybody say, God's enemies are going to lick the dust. God's the kings of Tarshish and the isles shall bring presents. The king of Sheba and Seba shall offer gifts. Yea, all the kings. Everybody say all the kings. All the kings shall fall down before him and all nations shall serve him. For he shall deliver the needy when he cries, the poor also and him that has no helper. He shall spare the poor and the needy and shall save the souls of the needy. He shall redeem the soul from deceit and violence and precious shall be their blood in his sight. 
And he shall live, and to him shall be given the gold of Sheba. Prayer also shall be made for him continually, and daily shall he be praised. There shall be a handful of corn in the earth upon the top of the mountains, and the fruit thereof shall shake like Lebanon, and they of the city shall flourish like the grass of the earth. His name shall endure forever. His name shall be continued as long as the sun and men shall be blessed in him, and all nations shall call him blessed. Blessed be the Lord God, the God of Israel, who only does wondrous things. And blessed be his glorious name forever, and let the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and amen. The prayers of David, the son of Jesse, are ended. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this call to worship that reminds us of your lordship, of your reign, of your kingdom. Often we concern ourselves with the transitory kingdoms of this world. We worry about what is going to happen and how it's going to happen and how we even might affect what happens. But Lord, those are your concerns and your worries and not ours. Lord, today I pray that we would learn to cast our cares upon you. Lord, that we would uh, rest in you and have peace in you, that you hold it all in the palm of your hand. In Christ's name we pray and all God's people said. standing for just a little bit. I'm only going to read two verses as my text. Psalm 138 is not a long psalm. It's only eight verses, but I'm just going to read verses four and five as a text before I begin. My sermon today is called All the Kings Sing His Song. Psalm 138 verses four and five say this. All the kings of the earth shall praise thee, O Lord, when they hear the words of thy mouth. Yea, they shall sing in the ways of the Lord, for great is the glory of the Lord. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we love you so very much, and we thank you that you have given us your word. It is like a love letter from you to us, helping us to understand our story understand you, to know you, to know how you work, why you work, and to know what you expect from us. We thank you, Lord, for these things. And as we look into your word, we are looking into it as James was reminding us to see ourselves. Lord, we so much long, Lord, to be sanctified by you, to be cleansed, that the life that we live may reflect the reality and the truth of what you say about us, that we are righteous and that you have created a place already for us in heaven. Lord, make us fit even now for it then. In Christ's name, amen. You may be seated. God is the author and the finisher of our faith. He's working things out for us, and he's actually working out things for the whole world through you and me. Everybody say, God is working it out through you and me. Every big and little event in our lives is part of God's glorious story that he is telling with our lives. 
We can't see it as it happens and understand it fully as it is occurring around us. But by faith, we should know that this is more true than anything else we imagine. We oftentimes get these thoughts, you know, God's not there and he's not going to come or maybe God's not real or whatever it is that is your struggle or is the thing that comes to your mind when you face trouble. But those things aren't true. The truth is, is whatever you're going through, God is putting you through it because he's doing something through you. It's a, that's really what it is. The Bible's many stories proclaim this truth again and again. And today we're going to look at one of them that literally spells this out as clear as day as we consider the message that Psalm 138 is putting forth. Last week we dealt with Psalm 137 where Israel was sulking by the rivers of Babylon wondering how can we sing the Lord's song in a strange land? And it's kind of a, a question even for us now, right? How, how do we sing in a world like this where it's so messed up and things are so wrong and how, how can we even have a song of joy? And as we asked the question last week, how this week, he's going to show us how that we and all the kings sing his song. And we're going to hear it from the story of Cyrus, king of Persia, and the three Hebrew children and Daniel, or we could say the four Hebrew children. You see, the startling words spoken by Cyrus, king of Persia, at the beginning of the book of Ezra, that became a royal proclamation posted in all of the land, really should not be startling at all to the student of Scripture. Does anybody remember what... Cyrus said, it's kind, of, it's kind of an epic opening to a book of the Bible. All of a sudden, this king says this. I'll read it for you. This is Ezra 1, verse 2. Thus Cyrus, king of Persia, says this, The Lord God of heaven has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he hath charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Honestly, when I, if you read the book of Ezra and you just open it up, hey, this is a book I'm going to study, and you read this, if you read it like that, Ashley, and you open it up and you go, why on earth would he say that? This isn't David, it's not Solomon, and this is, these are not, this is the king of Persia who's talking about building a house for God in Jerusalem. Well, how did it happen? This is, a, this is a heathen king, a king who is an idolater. Israel is being held captive by his nation and they're being used for slave labor. Why on earth would he decide to, I think we're just going to let them all go and uh, rebuild the temple. And, and I mean, this, this to me is like, if you're just reading it alone, you know, let's read the book of Ezra. You, read, you go, what is this? It does tell us why it happened in Ezra 1.1. It says this, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled. This is why this event happened, okay? The Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus. So there's the reason why, but how did God stir up the spirit of Cyrus to fulfill God's will? We know that God had told his people, right? 
through the prophets that he was going to return the chosen people from their captivity. He was going to restore the city in their place of worship. And he even told them when he was going to do it. He gave them a timeline. In 70 years, this is what I'm going to do. So they knew it was going to happen. But how did God work out those 70 years to all of a sudden Cyrus to just have this epiphany? You know what we should do? I think we should build this house for God. The answer is easily found by reading the book of Daniel. And I would recommend if you ever want to study Ezra, all you need to do is get out the book of Daniel and read it first. I don't know why the people who arranged the order of the scriptures did not put the book of Daniel right in front of Ezra because it is chronologically, if, if they were chapters of a book, you'd read Daniel first and then Ezra. They happen simultaneously, bam, 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 one goes right into the other. But when you're out, you know, uh, you know, singing your Bible song, you know, Genesis, Exodus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Jesus, Ruth, Ezra, right? Nehemiah, Esther, Job, Song, Saul, you know, song, blah, 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 blah. And then all of a sudden, <gasps> Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentation, Ezekiel, Daniel, you know, it's, it's way down the list. You see what I'm saying? It's a long way from here to here. And so you might not put the two together. But the answer is found out here that God used the life and times of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And I say them because, and, and we'll say the other names too, because they're easy to remember. And he used their many trials to stir the heart of Cyrus to make his proclamation and end Judah's captivity. It's as simple as that. And it's spelled out as plain as day in the book of Daniel. And it's really the same exact message that we're looking at here. This kind of thing is exactly what is being talked about in Psalm 138. Because of the placement of the book of Ezra in the Bible, most people might miss it. But God usually uses people, as they say, ordinary people, right? You know, I don't know if you know that song, but, you know, God uses ordinary people just like you and me to fulfill his will on the earth. He's using you right now in ways that you can't imagine. Our trials are part of what God is doing, and it is often how God works. Now, this is not good news for you and me in lots of ways. Like, hey, you know, if you, you know, people are, oh, I want to be used of God. It's like, okay, some really bad stuff is going to happen to you, and you're going to get down on your knees hopefully and you're going to ask God to help you and you're not going to see any way for this to work itself out and guess what will happen it will that's this is how this is what being used of God is about it's what the entire Bible is about how many people want to raise your hand I want to be used by God after hearing that like like you, you still want to be used by God okay like all right even though the troubles come it's why because all things do work together for good to them that love God but what you'll see is that really God throws a lot of trouble his people's way I mean Job was just living a wonderful life right he was a good guy and God says you know hey uh, Satan have you have you checked out <laughs> my servant Job. And thus we have the entire book of Job. Why? Because God started some trouble. And you might go, well, I don't, I don't really like that way of thinking it, but, but it is what is going on in the Bible over and over and over. God starts some trouble. 
some trouble he's very well equipped to deal with. And what happens is, is it depends on what we do about it, what comes next. So I don't think too many people made it in the Bible that had troubles and despaired and didn't believe God and cursed God and, and didn't follow God. But the ones that say, you know what, I'm going to serve God no matter what. Those guys actually made it in the Bible. It should make us smile when others might cry and complain. It should give us joy and a song that separates us from everyone else in the world. We should be the trouble people. It's like, well, you know, they know it's coming. But they also know the Lord's coming, you know, just like she's coming around the mountain when she comes. She's coming. I know she's coming, right? God is going to show up in this situation. God could simply have put it in the head of King Cyrus to do what he, what, what he did there, supernatural. It could have been like, poof, you know, it's just in his head. He wakes up one day and he goes, you know, this is a great idea. And God has dealt with me. But if you read the book of Daniel right before you read Ezra, it fits together like a perfect puzzle. So you may have never seen this before, but I'm going to quickly try to distill six chapters of Daniel, a perfect primer on God's providence and eschatology, and put the puzzle together for us today, okay? It's one big story. The story of Daniel is the story of how God uses a simple nobody in the world to change the entire world and get the captives delivered from Babylon. That is what the story of Daniel is about. How did it happen? It happened through the life of Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. It's filled with many familiar stories. And we hear, you know, we tell them individually by themselves, right? Daniel and the lion's den, the three Hebrew children thrown in the fiery furnace, uh, the, the dream that Daniel interprets about the, the, the great statue, and, and we hear about these things. We hear about how they wouldn't eat the king's meat, and they wouldn't drink the... We hear them individually, but we don't see the big story, and that's what I want you to see is the big story. I'm not going to get... You know, I will be preaching for the next five hours if I get into every teeny element of all these stories. But they all are part of one story, Sister Joy. Isn't that funny? One story. Now, I don't want the example to overshadow the psalm today. So I'm going to start going verse by verse through the psalm. And then we're going to look at Daniel. Is that okay? I know that's different than what we normally do, but I'm going to do it. The inspired heading tells us that Psalm 138 is a psalm of David, or as the ESV puts it, just puts of David. He, as a king himself who has learned to sing God's song, he writes and he sings from his own firsthand experiences. What are the experiences of David's life? Israel's in trouble, there's a giant, and he's, he's like, there's a problem, right? So what happens? Well, it depends on what we do. Life is going to be filled with troubles and problems, but it's what we do when they come that makes the difference in the story. I will praise thee with my whole heart before the gods. Now, God's small g here, uh, really kind of a little bit of a bad interpretation of this. Because it means it's Elohim, it's a plural, it means the great men or great men of the earth or even those that are not even men but even the false gods of the world. I will praise thee with my whole heart before the gods. David praises God with all of his heart and he does it before the great men, the lords of the earth, the Elohim. 
God's with a small g. He's not ashamed or daunted by what they think or what they do. He praises God because praise is beautiful to God. Verse 2, I will worship toward thy holy temple, and the praise I will praise thy name for thy loving kindness and for thy truth, for thou hast magnified thy word above thy name. Now, among all of the, the verses here in Psalm 138, this is the this one has a bit of a problematic um, uh, rendering here because apparently the Hebrew is not saying that God puts his word above his name, even though it sounds very much like that's what he's saying. The Hebrew actually means that he exalts his word and he puts it up there with his name. It's, it is saying that these things are the most preeminent things. It's not trying to say one is actually above the other okay David is worshiping according to God's law toward God's holy temple praising God for his mercy loving his loving kindness that has brought this unlikely man who sang and praised to God on the hillsides of Bethlehem he was never in line for any royal post and if he was in line he was last and yet God condescended to him. This is what God does to us. We're not important, we're not powerful, and we are not deserving of God's attention. God's going to look down and go, wow, look at those five acres over on Baldwin. Wow, they had an excavator out there, and you know what, I could really use some people like this. I mean, if I had people like this, I could just take over the whole world. Do you think that's what God's doing, Tim? I'm really impressed. They're the greatest people in the world. And if we get them, then we can save the world. No, what God does, the Bible says, is he takes people that really aren't that important. They're not that powerful. They're not that able. In fact, they have very little ability. He picks barren women to do what? Give birth to babies. He picks uh, powerless people to go against powerful so he can deal with those people. As we get to verse 3, in the day when I cried, thou answered and strengthened me with the strength in my soul. This is what we see again and again in the story of David's life. The one that we're looking at today about Daniel, we see the same story in the Hebrew children. And it's where we need to live. Troubles are going to come. What do we do? We bring them to God and we see what God is going to do about it. When we cry, God answers. He hears us and he fills us with faith and he fills us with the spirit. And it's our story, no matter what we're crying out to him about. It's the same story. In verse four, he transitions and he's speaking prophetically about something that we all believe and that David believed. All the kings of the earth shall praise thee, O Lord, when they hear the words of thy mouth. This is the truth. This is what is happening and what will happen. Nothing and no one can stop God's plan. And he is working out through the likes of you and I, through these four captives in a strange land, he's working out how he's going to change the world right then. Our Father, the King of glory, hears us when we pray. And he is part of every little thing that happens in our lives. It's kind of hard to believe God could do that. That he could worry about us, that he could think about the thing we lost. He could, he could think about the thing that we want. 
He can think about the thing that worries us or that the, our problem that we have before us, that he cares at all. That's got to be strange. All the kings shall sing his song. They shall sing God's song with us. This is where all of history is headed, and it's getting there through the likes of you and me. God's glory is great, and he will glorify himself in all the earth through us. And this is how all the kings sing his song. They're going to do it because of you. That kind of amazing. Verse 6, though the Lord be high, yet he hath respect unto the lowly. But the proud he knows afar off. You might go, well, I'm nobody. It's like, well, all right. You just qualified. God is great. His greatness is made known in that he consorts with us. He uses the likes of these four captive sons of Abraham and you and me to turn the world upside down. God does not use the proud. He is far from them, but he is near to us. That's what the psalm is saying. Verse 7, again, troubles come. Everybody say, troubles come. We're going to have them. Cars are going to break down. We're going to need jobs. Accidents are going to happen. Sickness is going to come. Difficulty is going to face us. <gasps> and then what? What do we do? Verse 7, though I walk in the midst of trouble, thou will revive me. This word in Hebrew means thou will preserve me. Thou shalt stretch forth thine hand against the wrath of mine enemies, and thy right hand shall save me. The Bible says that life is a few days and it is full of trouble. But these troubles are not random or arbitrary for us. They are how God works out what he's doing in the whole world through our troubles. Just like with Daniel and his friends and just like you. God sends the people and the trouble, but he always deals with those people. Who hurt us? Yeah, he sent Nebuchadnezzar, but what, does he deal with Nebuchadnezzar? Yeah, he does. God always deals with the people he sends to deal with us. This is what we see in the Bible. We have trouble, but he saves us from them, and he saves the world through us and them, and he teaches the kings of the earth the song of heaven through you and me. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, thou wilt preserve me. Thou shalt stretch forth thy hand against the wrath of mine enemies, and thy right hand shall save me. When we get to verse 8, it says, The Lord will perfect that which concerns me. Thy mercy, O Lord, endures forever. Forsake not the works of thine own hands. This is the most direct and clear statement in the psalm to me that explains its meaning. The ESV renders it this way. The Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. Your steadfast love, O Lord, endures forever. Do not forsake the work of your hands. Do you hear this prayer here? He's saying confidently in faith. This is so beautiful. God is going to fulfill everything he said, and he's going to complete in me the story that he has started to tell. We may not see the plot line. We may not understand our part in the story, but we know the writer of the story and we know that he is good. David prays in hope. The Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. He extols God's goodness by saying, your steadfast love, O Lord, endures forever. He then asks God to keep his good work up. Now, this is the hard part. 
You know, we go through trouble and I'll tell you, when I make it through trouble on the other side, I'm like, you know, I'm really looking forward to the next time that happens. Isn't that going to be awesome? No. But David here at the end of the psalm says this, do not forsake the work of your hands. What he's saying is, God, keep doing this in my life. Can you ask God that same question? Lord, I want you to keep this up. Keep the trouble coming. <laughs> kind of rough, ain't it? But that's what he's saying. Honestly, this could sum up the life of faith in its entirety. So let's, I'm going to start looking at Daniel here. And you're going to see the same exact pattern over and over again. I will try to watch the clock and not go crazy. But in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, came Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, to Jerusalem and besieged it. Everybody say, God sent Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar's forces overwhelmed God's people as it was prophesied that they would as a judgment upon them for breaking God's law. They took the vessels of the temple of God in Jerusalem. They took many of God's people into captivity. They destroyed the city of Jerusalem and the temple. And among these were the children of Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. You might remember how they saw great value in these four men and they brought them in as advisors, these youths, to, to, to help the king and to teach them the Hebrew's language. And soon as they're there... I mean, it's trial enough that they are there, right? But as soon as they're there and they're brought into this special place, which kind of seemed like, hey, it's good. We get, you know, we're not going to get put out to, to bust up rocks with sledgehammers. We get to go and, and, and learn language and, and do something useful. He's like, yeah, but here's the food you're going to eat. And they're like unclean animals and all the stuff. They're like, oh, no, because now, now it's like, what do we do? And it doesn't say that the three Hebrew children said they wouldn't need it. It says Daniel. Everybody say Daniel. The interesting thing to me is that God, it's one guy. One guy says, you know what? I am not going to do this. Here's the way it says. Daniel takes the lead. It says he purposed in his heart that he would not eat and drink the king's meat and the king's wine. He would not defile himself. He would not break God's law. And you might go, well, what is this? I mean, he's a slave. He's got to eat what they give him. He's got to, you know what? He determined that, you know what? If I starve, if they kill me, whatever it is, I'm not eating that. And you go, well, you're kind of putting yourself in a bad position. No, he's not. He's saying God's word says not to do this and he doesn't want to do it. He purposed in his heart. He's not going to do it. This is what starts the whole world's events from change. And they change through this one guy going, I'm not going to do that. It says in Daniel 1, 9 that God had brought Daniel into favor and tender love with the prince of the eunuchs. Daniel purposes to obey God's law no matter what, no matter what it costs. And then God does what? He gives him favor and tender love from his overseers. You see, God uses people who determine to do right no matter what. Is that you? In the end of this story, after they are allowed to eat what pleases God, you heard it read earlier, right? As for these four children, God gave them knowledge and skill and all learning and wisdom. And what did he do? He gives even more to Daniel. You guys know the parable of the talents. He gives you something and what you do with it depends on what God's going to do next, right? 
And so what you see here is God put Daniel in a good position. And when it was, you know, he's in a bad way, what does he do? He does right. He leads the three Hebrew children that are with him to do right. And so God gives them all something good, but he gives Daniel more. Everybody say more. When you determine to do what's right, when you take the lead, when you're not cowardly, when you're more afraid of God and, and disobeying his word than you are what people think or what people do, you are starting yourself in the beginning of an amazing, beautiful story and where you're going to be used of God. They obey God and God responds by giving them supernatural favor and gifts. Nebuchadnezzar calls them in. He spends some time with them and quote, and in all the matters of wisdom and understanding that the king inquired of them, he found them 10 times better than all the magicians and astrologers that were in all the realm. But, da but Daniel had a special gift the other ones didn't have. He could interpret dreams. That's how their story begins. Kind of a neat way, right? Unauspicious, unimportant slaves put in a situation. What do they do? They, they, it would be very, I mean, you couldn't complain and say, well, we're slaves and we're captives and, and you're the one that put us here. And I mean, what, what do we got? We got to eat whatever they give us. I mean, what are we supposed to do? We don't have any priests. We don't have any temple. We don't have any, we don't have any of that. What are we supposed to do? They're like, well, I don't know, but I'm not doing that. A trial comes. They act in faith. God responds. Now, look at the last verse of Daniel chapter 1. And Daniel continued even unto the first year of Cyrus. Now, this was the part that when I read it again, I was like, well, there's your answer. This is how this happened with Cyrus. But the problem that we have and the difficulty we have is Daniel remained in Babylon. This means he had to be there for 70 years. And by the time his story's over, yeah, a lot of good things have happened to him, but he's been a slave in a strange land and he hasn't been in Jerusalem. He's been in Babylon, and I'm sure there was a lot there that he didn't like. And we, in fact, they didn't like him either. Do you, does the world like you? They don't like you. They hate you. What are they going to do? They're going to try to get you. And from Daniel chapter 1, when we read Daniel 2 and 3 and 4 and 5 and 6, guess what's happening? God keeps allowing this trouble to happen in their lives, and he uses the trouble to do what? To beat them. They come against them, try to hurt them, they try to tear them down. This is something you need to take note of. Daniel continued in Babylon all the way to Cyrus. Daniel's life and trials and those of his three compatriots are the means by which Cyrus was stirred by God. It seems very clear. The stories that follow this book in the book of Daniel over the next 70 years tell us how God did what he did. They're great stories. The three Hebrews get thrown into a fiery furnace, but they're not burned. Daniel gets thrown into a lion's den. These are stories where evil men try to destroy the lives of God's people, but, everybody say but, but God, right? God's with them and he actually uses the things to glorify himself and garner them favor with the kings of the earth. This is how all the kings sing his song. They see the light of the glorious gospel through you and me, and we teach them his songs through our often trial-filled lives. 
Don't imagine for a moment that the temptation to conform for Daniel wasn't real. Do you think that he battled within himself? You know, I mean, how can, you know, how can you expect me to eat clean food, God? Like, we don't even, I don't know, you know, no, he purposed in his heart, I'm not going to do this. Don't think for a minute that the false accusations were not painful. Don't think for a minute that the fiery furnace wasn't scary. That the den of lions were not really fraught with real fear. There's something amazing that happens in the story of, of, of Daniel in the lion's den. But because what happens by the time Daniel gets thrown in the lion's den, joy, the king Darius doesn't even want him to go. Why? Because he has been teaching Darius to sing the songs of God. You know, in the story, and I don't know if we'll get to it because it's just too, too long and too much. But it's amazing. I was telling the deacons up here, what's amazing is, is that he tells Daniel. And I, and I love to reread Bible stories because I forget little parts of them sometimes. And he tells, he gets tricked by some guys into passing this law, you know. And Daniel's thrown in the lion's den and he's sick about it. It says he's sad. But you know what he says, Jason? You know what he says to Daniel? He goes, you know what? Your God's going to deliver you. What's he doing? He's singing. He is, Darius is by faith. So this happened to Nebuchadnezzar. This happened to Darius and it happened to Cyrus. Through what? Through four people and the troubles that came their way. Their story show us how again and again our own trials come and we should pray. We should do what we believe is right and pleases God no matter the outcome. And God will respond to us as he did for them like a loving father with his child. This is what you will see that Psalm 138 is all about. In chapter 2 of Daniel, Nebuchadnezzar dreams a disturbing dream and he forgets the dream when he wakes up and he wants to know what the dream was. Now, I mean, if someone told me their dream, I could take a crack at it, right? But if you don't even know what the dream is, and, and he says, if you, if, you, if you magicians and astrologers and all of you wise men, if you're so smart that you can interpret a dream, I think you should be smart enough to tell me what my dream was. And folks, let me tell you what, he created an impossible situation. And he said, and if you can't do it, I'm going to kill everybody, okay? All my advisors, I'm going to kill you all. Now, you might go, oh, this is great. He's going to kill all these bad guys. Well, you're going to find out that Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were now included in the number, and they were going to be killed too, okay? This was real trouble. The Chaldeans answered the king and they said, there's not a man on the earth that can show you this. Nobody can do this. Therefore, there's no king, there's no lord, there's no ruler that ask any magician or astrologer anything this hard. You can't be doing this to us. And he's like, oh, not only can I, but I am, and you're all going to die. <laughs> it is a rare thing that the king requires and there's none. So what's he do? This is what we call, uh, Ashley, an impossible situation. There is none that can show it before the king except the gods whose dwelling is not with flesh. For this cause, the king was angry, he was furious, and he commanded to destroy all the wise men of Babylon. Now, for a minute, 
Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and Daniel were kind of glad that they, you know, got chosen to be wise men, but now it's not so good, right? Now they are slated for death. See what I'm saying? The, here comes the trial. Like, it's like, what are they going to do? What do you think they do, guys? Do you think they whine and cry and go to the room and say, oh, it's terrible. I can't take it anymore. What do they do? Remember these boys? Daniel finds out. He says this, verse 17 of Daniel 2. Daniel went to his house and he made the thing known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions, that they would desire the mercies of the God of heaven. What'd they do? They prayed. See, Daniel's a leader. What does he do when trouble comes? He gets the people together and he says, let's pray about this. What can God do? Let, let's pray and Daniel and his fellows, <clears throat> that Daniel and his fellows should not perish with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. And guess what happens, guys? Then, everybody say then. Verse 19, then the secret was revealed unto Daniel. You might go, well, a prayer is not that important. It seems to me they prayed, and, but and then they got an answer from God. Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Daniel said, blessed be the name of the God of heaven forever for wisdom and might are his. He changes the times and the seasons. He removes kings. He sets up kings. He gives wisdom unto the wise and knowledge to them that know understanding. See what, da what Daniel is, what he's learning. And this is the song he is singing God's sovereign over all things. He's working it out. And it may seem like things are not working out like they should, but they are. And here's what he tells, and he tells this to the king. He said, verse 28, he says, There's a God in heaven that reveals secrets and makes known to the king Nebuchadnezzar what shall be in your latter days. First off, does he take credit? Hey, I'm a, wise, I'm a guy you should have on your team. I'm a somebody. No, he says, let me tell you right now, there's a God in heaven and he's real and he's told me about your thing and I'm going to tell you what it's all about. But it's not me, it's God. He tells him the dream, the vision, thou king, you saw a great image, the image, and it's, it's a whole thing. You can read it later. But he dreams that there's this big image and it's got a gold head and it's got silver chest and then it's got, you know, brass and then iron and it's a whole thing, Okay. And he explains to him, he's the golden head. But you know what happens? A rock comes and hits the, the, uh, the image on the feet, knocks it to the ground, destroys it, and then the rock multiplies and fills the earth. And he says, there's a kingdom coming one day that'll be greater than your kingdom and every kingdom the earth has ever seen, and it will fill the whole earth. And he tells them this. So what do you think happens? Daniel can tell them, he can tell King Nebuchadnezzar what he dreamed, and he can tell the interpretation. How do you think that works out for Daniel? Everybody say it worked out awesome. Right? Here, here's, here's what he says. Um, this is Daniel chapter... Oh. So the king answered Daniel and he said this, of a truth, your God is the God of gods. So he, why? Because he just did something impossible. That's why. He told me what I dreamed that I couldn't even remember what I dreamed. I mean, that's, that's amazing. And he is the Lord of kings. He's a revealer of secrets, seeing thou could reveal these things. So now we hear Nebuchadnezzar singing. 
the praises of God. The king made Daniel a great man. He gave him many gifts. He made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon, the chief and the governors of the wise men of Babylon. Then Daniel requested of the king that he set Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the affairs of the province, and Daniel sat in the gate of the king. So he leads them in prayer. He leads them to not eat the king's meat and the wine. And then when he gets promoted, what does he do? He goes, hey, you should, I want to bring these guys too. See how he's living his life? Daniel chapter 3, Nebuchadnezzar backslides. He hears about this great image with a golden head and he says, you know, I think I want to make a great image that doesn't just have a golden head. Nathaniel was pointing this out. Whole thing's gold. And then everyone's going to have to worship it. You think that Nebuchadnezzar got the message or the wrong message out of this? Nebuchadnezzar, like, hey, I'm great. There's a golden head. He's like, yeah, you're the golden head, but you ain't, you're not all the gold. And they said, if you don't, in the very hour that we blow the trumpets and stuff, if you don't worship this thing, you're going to be thrown in the fire furnace. And then he asked this question, and this is this taunting of God that you can see the heart of Nebuchadnezzar. He said, and who's the God that'll deliver you out of my hands? <laughs> well, things like that don't work out very well for people in the Bible, right? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered, they said, Nebuchadnezzar, we're not careful to answer you in this matter. If so be that our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fire, he will do it out of your hand, O God. He, we're, he can do it. He might not do it. He didn't have to do it. I'm nobody. Be it known, though, king, if he doesn't do this for us, we will not serve your gods. We will not worship your golden image that you've set up. Now, now you've got these three Hebrew children. They've got the boldness of Daniel. He has led them. He has shown them. He has helped them to see that by faith that when trials come, that these trials are sent to us by God as a proving and a testing and a purifying thing in our life and to accomplish his will in the world. Nebuchadnezzar full of fury. We know what he does. He heats up the furnace seven times more. But what happens, guys? They get thrown in the fire furnace and they do not burn, right? In fact, there's one like the Son of God walking around in there with him. How do you think Nebuchadnezzar responds to this? He starts singing. Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who sent his angel. He delivered his servants that trusted in him. They've changed the king's word. They yielded their bodies that they might not serve and worship any god except their own. Therefore, I make a decree. What's he doing? He's making a decree a lot like the one Cyrus makes later. He is the first. Darius does it in the second. And this happens again. Therefore, I make a decree that if every people, nation, and language speak anything amiss against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they shall be cut in pieces and their houses shall be made a dunghill because there is no other God that can deliver it like this. Folks, Nebuchadnezzar is singing this song. Daniel chapter 4 you can miss Nebuchadnezzar's song keeps going. He says this, unto all the people and languages that dwell on the earth, peace be multiplied. I thought it good to show you the signs and wonders that the high God hath wrought toward me. How great are his signs. How mighty are his wonders. His kingdom is everlasting and his dominion is from generation to generation. Can you believe these are the words of Nebuchadnezzar? I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at rest in my house flourishing in my place and I saw a dream once again he's got another dream coming 
In this dream, he dreams about a big tree and the tree gets cut down and he goes and asks Daniel and Daniel goes, let me explain to you what's going on here. You think you're bigger stuff than you are. God gave you all that he gave you, but the God that gave you what he gave you can take it away and you better straighten up. And if you don't straighten up and you don't start giving the poor and being kind to the poor, you know what's going to happen to you? You're going to eat grass like an ox and you're going to lose your mind and you're going to go out and you're going to be humiliated so that God will show that he is the powerful one in your life. What do you think happens to Nebuchadnezzar? It happens to him and for a year of his life. And, you know, this is even documented by the heathen that Nebuchadnezzar flipped out of his mind and did these things. He grew his hair long, his fingernails long. He he literally ate grass. But then after this, he comes to himself. But it happens to him. Right. It says this king spake and he says this is this is when it happens. He tells him it's going to happen, but the, he doesn't repent. He said, I have built a house for the kingdom with my power and might and for the honor of majesty. Is this not great Babylon that I have built? It says in verse 31, while the word was in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven saying, O King Nebuchadnezzar, to thee it is spoken. Their kingdom is departed from you. And all of a sudden these terrible things happened to him. Nebuchadnezzar, when he awakes from his year-long odyssey of eating grass and living like an animal, at the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted up my eyes to heaven and my understanding returned to me, and I blessed the Most High God. And I praised and I honored him that lives forever, whose dominion is everlasting. His kingdom is from generation to generation and the inhabitants of the earth. And he, he goes on. What's he doing? He's praising God. That's how the story of Nebuchadnezzar's life ends he goes on no one can do anything about him he's the most powerful he's the most amazing he's incredible this is nebuchadnezzar daniel chapter 6 the new king in town after nebuchadnezzar darius it pleased darius to set over the kingdom 120 princes which should be over the whole kingdom and over these prisons, he put Daniel in first place. How do you think this worked out? You think the people of the world like this? They don't like it. They hated him. It says in verse 3, Daniel was preferred among the presidents and princes because he was an excellent spirit. And the king thought to set him over the whole realm. But the presidents and princes sought to find occasion against him. You're like, hadn't Daniel proved himself? Hasn't he done enough? Hasn't he shown he's a good man long enough? Why does God keep doing this? Because there's still people that need to be squashed. That's why. And so what they do, he ferrets them out because they see and they seethe with jealousy over the man of God. And you know what happens to them? What happens to them is wretched. Okay. So what do they do? They, they trick the king, Darius, into passing this law that if anybody doesn't, if anybody asks a petition of anybody but the king, then, you know, and they catch Daniel praying, of course, because they know he prays. And then, you know what happens to king, as I mentioned before, he, he's, he's heartbroken over this because he didn't know what they were doing. Verse 14 of Daniel 6, when the king heard these words, it displeased him and he set his heart on Daniel to deliver him. He wanted to deliver Daniel, but you know, the king couldn't even deliver Daniel because they had made a thing where the law was above the king. 
And so they had made this law. He said, it can't be changed. And he labored till the going down of the sun to deliver him. He was the best lawyer he could be. He tried to figure out if there was a loophole. Even he could not deliver Daniel. The men assembled to the king and said to the king, O king, the law of the Medes and the Persians is no decree or statute which established may be changed. So the king commanded and they brought Daniel and they cast him in the lion den. And I love it. It says, now the king spoke unto Daniel and he said this, thy God whom thou servest continually, he will deliver you. Can you imagine this? A heathen king is preaching to the man of God and prophesies his deliverance. And the king commanded, and they brought the men, which, he, now here's what happens. We know, they throw him in the lions, then what happens? Does he get eaten by the lions? Everybody say, no. God shuts the mouth of the lions, he's in there, and the king is very, very happy, right? But who's he not happy with? The people who got him thrown in. What does he do? The king commanded that the people that had accused Daniel, that they were cast into the lion's den, them, their children, their wives, and the lions had mastery over them and broke all of their bones in pieces, and none of them ever came out of the bottom of the den. King Darius wrote unto the people in several languages, Peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that every dominion of my kingdom, men should tremble and fear the God of Daniel. <laughs> he is the living God. He is steadfast and forever in his kingdom that shall not be destroyed and his dominion shall even be all the way to the end. He delivers, he rescues, he works signs and wonders in heaven and the earth. Who delivered Daniel from the power of the lions? And so Daniel prospered in the reign of Darius and in the reign of Cyrus of the Persians. This is how the heart of Cyrus was stirred to sing the praises of God and this became a psalm for him. God's word fulfilled. Seventy years of ups and downs in the lives of four of God's children. This is how all the kings shall sing God's praises. It's how the world is changed through you and me. It's what he does. If you want to, with your kids, read the story of Daniel and then read, then read the beginning of Ezra. You'll see this beautiful picture, this puzzle that fits together. And it will remind you and your family that what God is doing cannot be stopped. What God is doing, he does through you and me. And as a result, we can sing praise to God for his mighty acts. Amen. So why don't we stand up? And we're going to sing a song that reminds us of this truth. And what I'm hoping that will happen now is as you consider this truth, you will be reminded that God uses people who believe in him, who trust in him, that God's people do not have troubleless lives. And that when the next trouble comes your way, you might be in the middle of a trouble right now. You might be in a situation where you're like, hey, I need God to show up. And you might be tempted to despair. You might go, God's not going to show up and this isn't going to happen for me. Know that God is at work in that situation for you, even right now. Thank you so much for joining us today. I pray your time with us was very encouraging. If it was, consider sending us a note and also consider partnering with us. 